Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Well, one of the gifts that uh, the uh, North gave us, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a born Southerner, and so we always talk about Yankees, Dr. Cohen. And, of course, obviously, uh, we, we put everybody that comes from Virginia or North as a Yankee. But you are one of the great gifts that we've had. You're a graduate of Cornell University where you get your medical degree from, uh, well, no, you got your medical degree actually from Yale and uh, you graduated from Cornell. So obviously you fall into that category of being a Yankee, but we are so glad to have you here. And you've been such a blessing to us in the state because you've gotten us through this entire COVID situation. You've been frequently on with uh, Governor Cooper in press conferences and given us so much good advice. And as we said earlier, North Carolina has done so much better than many of our uh, peer states uh, and uh, our friends and neighbors uh, in uh, other states. I, I do want to change uh, course a little bit in this segment and talk about some other things that we learned from wearing masks and washing hands. And that was that the ordinary flu cases were down significantly last year and the number of head colds were down significantly. Do you, I'm assuming that this came from the wearing of masks and washing hands. Is, uh, is there any other explanation other than that? It turns out the three W's, wearing a face covering, waiting six feet apart and washing your hands works for lots of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think you were right. Uh, one of the side benefits, if there was any silver lining in all of this, is we saw almost no flu across North Carolina all of last winter. We saw very little what's called RSV, which is a common virus that impacts our kids in particular. We saw very little para-influenza. So, uh, you know, what it shows is how contagious even the original COVID virus was, right? Because we were doing the masks and the, the six feet apart and the washing hands for everything. Flu went away almost completely. COVID was still here, right? And it just shows you how contagious COVID is compared to flu. So when say, uh, people say, oh, this was just the flu, it absolutely was not. Um, but that was a side benefit. We didn't see flu. But interestingly, um, what we are seeing this summer is a resurgence of those viruses that we normally only see in the winter, right? Because we've, we've all been taking our masks off because vaccines have been, you know, or around, we had low levels of COVID. So we've been, we've been hugging a lot, which is wonderful. We've been doing all the things that we, we, we loved to do, but that virus, those viruses were still lurking around and, you know, talking to my medical colleagues, um, particularly my, my pediatric colleagues, they're seeing a lot more children with some of those more severe uh, viral illnesses, more kids in the hospital when that's something we normally don't see in the summertime. Um, we're seeing it right now. So uh, those viruses are, are here. And when we're not doing the three W's, they do come back. Well, I know right now our focus is on the Delta variants and, and the COVID-19, but do you think we should have a big push when the flu season starts and the, the uh, ordinary cold season starts to uh, push everyone back to wearing masks because the, the shots we've taken for COVID-19 don't prevent those other things? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, I will say in the United States, wearing masks in the wintertime when it was flu season and, and, and such wasn't a thing you saw here in the United States. But if you look in other countries, that is something um, that you would see um, pretty commonly. And I, I think this will, will be uh, 
we'll see how folks uh, react to that. Um, I, I would certainly say if you are immunocompromised, either a, a child is medically frail, you are immunocompromised, meaning you have uh, your immune system is weakened for some reason. I absolutely think that extra layer of protection, having a mask and certainly washing your hands all the time is going to be useful for for not just preventing COVID, but these other things. So I do think that we've learned a lot here. And I think you will have seen masks become more of a normal thing that people will wear uh, out and about to protect themselves and others. What were the other positive lessons that we learned, uh, maybe in hospital administration or in just general health care uh, providers? Uh, uh, what other lessons did we learn during the last 18 months that might be useful for the future? Yeah, uh, what a great question. And I think we're still learning lessons. But, um, you know, what I would say is that um, we really needed detailed data in order to make really important decisions. So we needed data about who was getting infected, where were they getting infected, where were they getting tested and hospitalized? Who were they? How old were they? All of that information was so important to make hard decisions for our whole state. And at first, we didn't have the capacity to even collect that data um, and then analyze it. And so we definitely learned about the importance of creating a data infrastructure um, across our state that's not just for COVID, but that can be used for a number of things to help us make good data-informed decisions. I think that's one. Um, second, I think we also saw that health is so much more than than COVID or just a COVID test or a COVID vaccine. Um, you know, and I think COVID shined a light on, on this is that when you got, when someone had COVID or was exposed to COVID, it wasn't just about getting them a test, but they, we had to think about, do they have a safe place to isolate? Do they have access to food? Um, did they have transportation to their medical visit if they needed? All of those things. Um, we had to think about mental health, about um, their spiritual health, um, and obviously about economic health. So one of the things I, I think in, in COVID is that really made us think about whole person health in a very comprehensive way. And that when we attack these hard problems, we can't just think about, okay, check the box, access to a test. It's, it, it is much bigger than that. Um, and when we think about a health response, it has to be a whole person response that's more than just the physical health aspect of it. I also think we learned a lot on the equity front. Obviously, this was a, a, a year that was incredibly hard because of the pandemic, but also important conversations about racial justice um, and the fact that this COVID pandemic impacted our historically marginalized populations in a very different way. So I think the way we go about our programs and, um, and how we do our response effort um, and bringing an equity lens to it is certainly a really important lesson that we've learned. Well, I know your focus has been so much, uh, and uh, rightly so, on COVID-19, uh, but of course you're worried, as you said, about the whole health situation in North Carolina. Uh, have we made any great strides in, uh, let's just take diabetes, are we, are we learning more about how to treat that and how to uh, eliminate the, the effects of uh, that uh, terrible, terrible condition? 
No, we have. It's a great question. And we have a lot of challenges that were here before COVID and they'll be here after COVID. I think um, diabetes is one of them, heart disease. Um, right. We have a lot. We still have a lot of smokers in our state. We have a lot of folks who um, we, we need to think about um, their, their health in different ways. And I think we are making progress on some of the issues, particularly on, in diabetes. Um, but, but we certainly have much more to do. And I want to go back to that third lesson that I mentioned around equity is I think that we've been making some progress, but what we still see is a disparity, meaning our African-American communities, our Hispanic communities, um, we see worse rates of diabetes um, in those communities and less access to the, the necessary treatments that they need. And so I think you're going to see as we go forward here, a particular emphasis from my department on closing that disparity and really focusing on our underserved communities. Where are we with teenage smoking these days? Is it, uh, uh, are we getting any results from all the efforts that we're making to eliminate teenagers from getting hooked on cigarettes? Yeah, after a long decline of seeing smoking rates go down, I think you know with the advent of um, uh, you know, e-cigarettes um, that we have seen more smoking go up and particularly the flavored uh, uh, e-cigarettes. So, you know, that has become a resurgence of a challenge uh, here. Um, I think there's been some important action at the federal level um, around tobacco control and making sure to regulate the products so that they aren't flavors like bubble gum uh, and cherry and what, what have you um, that are that appeal more to our, our younger population, um, our young our, our young adults um, to make sure that they don't get started with tobacco because we know once once you get started so addictive it's really hard to uh, uh, to stop so I think there's been important actions taken at the federal level and again I think we do a good job here of making sure that we are, are keeping uh, tobacco away from our, our teenagers but always more work to do again I know one of the uh, factors I'm sure or one of the conditions that you were worried about when you took your position, uh, back in January of 2017, before COVID was, of course, the situation involving mental health in North Carolina, because I think almost everyone agrees we're a little bit behind the eight ball there. Mm -hmm. Are we any progress? Well, I'm glad you brought up mental health, because this is something I'm extremely concerned about. Um, as we've gone through this really challenging pandemic, this 18 months um, it has been quite a strain, frankly, on everyone's mental health and those who had underlying mental health illness, certainly seeing additional strain there. And before we went into COVID, we had an underfunded, uh, uncoordinated, stigmatized mental health system. Uh, and so we had challenges as we went into COVID and as we come out of it, this traumatic sort of experience that everyone's been in, I think we're going to actually see, unfortunately, a worsening of mental health before it gets better. I think we've seen that in past disasters like hurricanes. Um, so we are we're preparing for that, but I am very worried that we do not have the tools we need here in North Carolina. And one of the reasons is because we have a much higher uninsured rate here in North Carolina than in almost every other state in the country because we have not expanded Medicaid. Um, it's something the governor and I talk a lot about um, is that we need to make sure that we get access 
to insurance for 500,000 North Carolinians. Um, often those are the folks who are working two jobs. Their job doesn't offer them health insurance. Um, but, you know, they're like, they, they are often the ones who need mental health services the most. Um, and so we, we definitely need to expand Medicaid. I don't think that's the only thing we need to do to improve our mental health system. But I, I think that we are trying to, to fight that um, and make things better in mental health with one hand tied behind our back if we don't have Medicaid expansion. And the governor and I are, are working all the time to work with our General Assembly to help them understand why it's so important to expand Medicaid now. Um, we should have done it before the pandemic. Um, again, we, I think we compensated for it, but we could, I think we could have been stronger if we had it going in. Um, so this is the right time. And you, you may know this all, already, but those, those listening, if we expand Medicaid this year, the federal government actually put an extra bonus in there for states like North Carolina, because there's so few of us left that have not expanded Medicaid. They said, if you expand Medicaid this year, we're going to give you an extra bonus of money. And what it, that translates to, to North Carolina is about $1.7 billion, with a B, uh, dollars over two years in additional funding. That's funding I want to use to improve the mental health system. Um, right. So it's a double bonus. You get you get plenty of folks covered, all with federal dollars, no state dollars, and um, some bonus um, additional fun federal funds uh, to help us here in North Carolina. So those are things I want to take advantage of. Well, that is, for some reason, other, that's been a matter of concern with the General Assembly for some time. And as you said, we are one of the few states that uh, has uh, done this so far. Uh, so we'll just have to see how that plays out during the rest of the, uh, the session. Well, uh, I hope I so, because I, I know that they, they, you know, I hear people say that they're worried about mental health. I know they are in the General Assembly, and this is a really important tool to help us um, impact mental health. I also hear about access to care in rural areas. Our state is incredibly rural, as you well know. Um, and this is what, what will help us keep our rural hospitals and other rural access points open. Um, if you look at states that have expanded Medicaid, they've had no rural hospital closures. That's not the case here in North Carolina. So a lot of reasons to expand Medicaid and um, we're gonna keep working at it. Our guest is Dr. Mandy Cohen and we'll have one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers and we'll do that right after these messages. As an 18 year old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. 
Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on the Carolina Newsmakers is Dr. Mandy Cohen. She's the Secretary of the Department of uh, Health and Human Ser uh, Services for the state of North Carolina. And uh, uh, we opened the program by talking about the press conference she had on Thursday with the governor, in which we talked about the uh, uh, the uh, sudden expansion of or, or resurgence, I guess, of the COVID situation with the new Delta variants. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'd like to remind you that if you missed the broadcast, the first broadcast, and you would like to hear it or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, well, Dr. Cohen, again, when we opened the program, we talked about the fact that the Delta variance has just sort of weird its ugly head here, and we've got about uh, somewhere around 55 to 60% of the people in the state of North Carolina who are vaccinated, and the other 40% are really sort of rolling the dice right now. And uh, your advice is basically take those shots. Well, absolutely. The most important thing that folks could take away from all of this is we need to get more folks vaccinated. So if you are vaccinated already, I urge you to talk to friends and family who are not vaccinated and tell them why you got vaccinated and really urge them to get their vaccine as quickly as possible. I think you're, you absolutely are right in saying that the Delta variant, this new COVID virus is a different virus than we were dealing with before. It is way more contagious, much, much more contagious, and it is spreading rapidly across this state. It's going to find you if you are unvaccinated. Um, what we are seeing is nearly all the cases, all the hospitalizations are in people who are unvaccinated vaccinated. And so we are really focusing on getting people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're pr protecting folks. Vaccine is widely available. It is safe and it is effective. We still have obviously 40% of the people unvaccinated, some of them for matters of convenience, but there are other things that go around that somebody says, well, if I get vaccinated, I can, you know, this will happen or that will happen. What are some of the common things that you hear that uh, you'd like to say, okay, that's just basically not true? Well, one, I want folks to know that no corners were cut in, in getting this vaccine out quickly to folks. Um, this was an effort um, that has been researched for decades. Um, and we were lucky enough to take advantage of those decades of research and put them into action here for these vaccines. Um, and it wasn't that corners were cut, it's just that all of the attention went and all the, the resources, the money and the smartness, uh, the brilliance of our scientists went towards these vaccines. And we were really able to streamline the process and get it, get it out and get it to people quickly. And I'm so grateful to our scientific community for doing that because I don't know what would what would be happening right now if we didn't have vaccines with this much more contagious variant. We, we would be um, in a much worse place. So um, I, that's one. I want folks to know that this vaccine has been rigorously tested. 
Um, it had, we, there was no corners cut. 160 million Americans have gotten vaccinated. The other thing I want to say is that, you know, for young people, they say, well, I don't, I don't need the vaccine. I, I'm, I'm just going to get COVID. It's going to be fine. I'll get over it. But what I would say is, is that, that, that is, that is definitely underestimating the, the seriousness of this virus. Now, I'm not worried about some of our younger, younger folks going to the hospital or, uh, or, or dying, but, getting COVID is not fun. <laughs> um, you get very sick. And I would say well, we're, that, you know, you lose your sense of smell and then that could be gone for months and months and months. That means not smelling. That means not tasting your food for months. You can get a really bad cough and be short of breath for months, brain fog for months. You don't want that. Just get your vaccine you can get a one and done Johnson and Johnson shot if you don't like shots. So those are the things I want folks to know that this virus is that, that this vaccine is safe and effective, but this virus is serious and no one can escape it. And so it's better for you to get vaccinated right now. Well, I think I, you, you mentioned earlier that you got the J and J version and uh, a lot of people have uh, uh, looked at that as a one-shot version, of course, the two-shot thing. Now, we hear a lot about the possibility that there might need, be a need for booster shots later on. Is there any evidence yet that that's going to be something that we're going to look at? Well, I think that we're having a booster shot is probably something that will happen. The question is when um, and what will that version of that that shot, that vaccine look like. I think what the scientists are still working through that right now. We're trying to understand, are we going to get another dose of the same vaccine that we've, we've gotten before? So if you've gotten two doses of Pfizer, will you get a third? Um, or I know Pfizer and other companies are working on a version 2.0, if you will, of the vaccine to help us combat some of these newer strains of the virus that they are seeing. So I think the scientific community is still studying whether or not we're going to get another dose of the uh, first vaccine, or are we going to get uh, the, ne the, the next generation, if you will, of the vaccine uh, going forward. I don't think we still know that yet. But what I will say is this virus is changing and immunity wanes, meaning your body forgets um, that, you know, the vaccine is training your body to recognize COVID and it can forget over time. So just because we need a booster doesn't mean anything has gone wrong. It just means this virus changes and sometimes your immunity isn't as strong over time. So I do think it is likely the question is when I can't answer that question. It could be later this year, I think more likely next year. Now, we're just now getting to the point where we're opening up things like uh, uh, full houses at athletic events, and we've got the high school football season about to begin, the college football season. Uh, is there any concern on your part that the uh, resurgence of the Delta variants is going to change any of that? Well, we we're in a very different place than we were at the start of, of uh, football season last fall. We have vaccines um, and all of our football players are eligible for those vaccines. So get them now before the season starts. Um, so that's what we, we, we're hoping everyone does. Get vaccinated now. Um, protect yourself. Protect your teammates uh, before you get into the season. What about fans in the stands where you're talking about being with 55,000 other people? 
Yeah, well, I hope I hope all of them get vaccinated. Again, I think this is about vaccines. I hope they all get vaccinated because the more people that get vaccinated, we're protected. When we're, I, I'm yeah. less concerned about viral spread outdoors, um, but we when we get into things where we have unvaccinated people indoors yelling and cheering, that's a recipe for spreading virus. Um, so I, I hope we um, are, are seeing more people get vaccinated and that some of those higher risk settings, I hope they are um, doing more to make sure the unvaccinated wear masks. If you choose not to get vaccinated, you're choosing to to wear a mask um, and in order to participate in, in, in these uh, activities because you could you could spread a, a virus that could kill someone. And so, you know, it, it, it is a different, it is a different thing. Your choice to not get vaccinated or your choice not to wear a mask is impacting others. It's not the same thing as just making an individual choice for yourself. Your choices impact the health and well-being of others. Is there an effective uh, home test available for testing to see if you have COVID-19? Yes, there is. Um, and you can actually get free at-home tests from the state um, right now. Um, so they are available and you can you can uh, request those from the state and get and just have a couple of tests at your house in case you have any symptoms. You could take that test um, and, and know if you have COVID. There's also a lot of testing sites. I think over a thousand testing sites across our state um, that folks can still get free testing at. So um, we want to make sure that I think testing is going to be a really important piece of, of things going forward because as, as we were talking about in an earlier segment there's gonna there are other viruses out there flu and parainfluenza and RSV and other coronaviruses and we're going to want to know which is COVID and which isn't well uh, yeah one thing we didn't mention earlier when we were talking about lessons we learned telemedicine uh, of course is uh, now uh, being uh, utilized a little bit more and we learned uh, that that's a uh, a possible help in years ahead in these more rural areas of North Carolina where uh, the health care is uh, more difficult to get. Uh, that uh, is something I guess we should have brought up uh, when no, we were talking a, about lessons learned. It's a great topic um, and really important. I, I think telemedicine is here to stay. And in fact, if we call it telemedicine in five years as opposed to just medicine, <laughs> um, we're, we're in trouble because I think it's here to stay. I think it's important. Um, and, you know, I my department runs the Medicaid program, the insurance program uh, for many, many um, North Carolinians. And we have made permanent that we are going to pay for telehealth visits going forward. Um, so it's not just limited to COVID. So I think we're gonna continue to see more progress there. I, I wanna see more of the insurance companies um, pay and continue to pay for telehealth visits so that we can meet people where they are. I think that's an important access point. Um, but underlying all that is broadband, right? Folks need to have broadband access in order to take advantage of telemedicine. So the two go hand in hand. And I know the governor um, is working with the General Assembly now on more investments in broadband for North Carolina, because that's that's foundational for us to be able to continue telehealth. Well, we've got about a minute and a half left, and I think I'm just going to sort of turn to you and say, okay, we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, you've given us a lot of insight. You've given us a lot of advice. Is there anything I've failed to ask you that the public would probably really wish that I had asked you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think you've, you've 
this was a great, uh, great hour. Thank you for the opportunity to talk through what's going on in North Carolina. Like I said, it's a, it's a different moment of this, this pandemic. We have vaccines. We have safe and effective and free vaccines. We need to use them. Um, and we need to protect each other. Um, sometimes that will be mean masks in certain settings like our our schools um, where we know our kids are unvaccinated. Sometimes that will mean masks for the unvaccinated. And sometimes that will even mean masks in public settings for people who are vaccinated just to give them one layer of additional protection. I think that but, you know, North Carolina has been incredible at getting through this pandemic in the past 18 months. We are incredibly resilient. We will continue to do that. I'm really proud of our state. We're going to continue to keep working hard um, from the Department of Health and Human Services with the governor and his team uh, to make sure we're protecting the health and safety of, of all North Carolinians. We certainly have a lot else to do um, around health and well-being besides COVID. We talked about mental health and other medical issues. Um, and so you're going to see us, you know, make sure that we can learn the lessons from this pandemic uh, to continue to help the people of North Carolina. It's been an honor of a lifetime to serve during this historic time. Well, thank you so much, not only for your service, but also for taking the time to uh, uh, and uh, your patience in answering some questions that I'm sure you are uh, well accustomed to answering, but still probably get to uh, answer far many more times than you would probably like to. Dr. Mandy Cohen, our guest on Carolina Newsmakers. We'll be back again next week with another guest. So uh, join us then. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.